0: on uh, an ongoing study of the book of Acts and so far we have been in the first three chapters of Acts. And Quite honestly, the first three uh, chapters of Acts are really a honeymoon period. If you just think of what's been happening in the first three chapters of Acts, first you have Jesus, the risen, victorious Christ there and he's teaching the disciples a face-to-face and he teaches them about the kingdom of God and about a bunch of other things. Can I go a hair up, Peter? Just a hair up. I got a sore throat today from being outside yesterday. Thanks. And, and he, after that, he tells them they're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on them. They are going to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria to the ends of the earth. And he ascends before their very eyes. Whoop, there he goes. Wow. So they stand there looking, and the, the, the angels say, again, these kind of wisecracky angels, the angel says, why do you keep looking in the sky? Because that doesn't happen every day, Mr. Angel. But he says, that same Jesus is going to come down. And so they, they're satisfied with that, and they leave, and they go, and they choose a replacement for, for Judas. And they're praying in this place at the day of Pentecost, which is 50 days after Passover, which is the time when Christ was crucified, so there's a period of about 50 days there, and something amazing happened. The Holy Spirit comes in power and is manifested by these flames of, uh, tongues of fire, these flames that kind of come, they land on each person and they start speaking French and German and, and all these different languages. I don't know if French and German even existed then, but they, they start speaking these languages and whoa. And this whole crowd comes about and saying, what's going on? They heard the noise. There was kind of a great rushing sound when, the, when these, uh, uh, these tongues of fire, that's the way that the, the writer describes them. And the whole crowd comes and Peter stands up and gives his first Christian message and 3,000 people, think about that, 3,000 people come to turn from wherever they were at They turn to being followers of Christ. So instant church. Just add one Holy Spirit, tongues of fire, and one message. There it is. And they start meeting in the temple courts every day. Remember we spent seven weeks looking through what that new church looked like. The transforming power of, of of the gospel. What it did in their lives. The transformed life and how they lived together. And they were enjoying the fellowship. Every day they would come to the temple courts. And they would hang out with one another. They would get in little seminar groups and hear the different apostles speak on different issues and and they would do, the the apostles would do miracles and and it was just an amazing time. It was an amazing time. And then two weeks ago we looked at Acts chapter 3 and one of these times when Peter and John were headed up to the temple, there was a man who had been crippled from from birth, he was over 40 years old, he'd been crippled from birth and Peter says, I don't have any money. He was there to beg. I don't have any money, but what I do have, I give to you. Stand up, rise in the name of Christ, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Can you imagine that? Guy had never walked in his entire life, and he stands up, and he starts bouncing around. And we saw how people respond to that. We're going to see today how people respond to that. But let me just say right now, that's the honeymoon. We're through chapter 3. That's the honeymoon. Chapters 4, 5, 6, and 7, and the first verse of chapter 8 is the tilting. It tilted, it started over here. You can see it in Acts 2, verse 47. If you remember, the very last verse of that section we spent seven weeks on says that they, they the, this new church, were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Get that? All the people. They were enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I hear people often say, man, we just want our church to be just like it was in the book of Acts. Oh, I want it to be just like that. Can you imagine what it would be like? I mean, every day we'd meet together, it'd be so exciting, and we'd, we'd gather, and, and, and we'd see miracles, and we'd be praying all the time, and we'd hear messages, and we'd be in small groups, and we'd be teaching, and oh, they'd be, we'd be sharing our possessions. Wouldn't it be great? Now, when they're talking about what they want to go back to the church like it was in the book of Acts, they mean the first three chapters. Because after chapter three, four, five, six, and seven, this pendulum from the favor of all the people is gonna go to it's very dangerous to be a Christian again. But right now, for whatever reason, it's it's cool to be a Christian, even in the temple. Now remember, the temple is a Jewish temple. And remember, that was a very hazardous place for Christians to be. And when Jesus came back to Jerusalem, the disciples knew that this was it. Something was going to break. And it was Christ who broke. On purpose, he's the one who did it, but he was crucified for going back to Jerusalem. He set it up that way. It's going to shift now. In fact, after chapter 3, there are 28 chapters to the book of Acts. There's 25 left. Uh, We're going to pull them all off in just a few days. No, uh, I don't know how we're going to do that. We'll get through it. There's 25 chapters left. In those 25 chapters, only three, so 22 out of the 25 chapters, speak about persecution. Yeah, I want our church just to be like the book of Acts. I don't know, man. Hold the bus here. I'm not sure that's that's something... Jesus said it would happen. In John 15, he's warning his disciples. He says in John 15, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Hated you. We're going to see some of that venom today. They hated him. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Persecution, Jesus says, it's coming. Do you wonder why? And you know in America, I, I, it's, it's such a minor deal. I mean, it really is. And I know we all get a little uptight. Oh, I don't want to talk to my roommate about Jesus. I might think I'm a nut. Well, you are a nut. In a sense, if you're a follower of Jesus, the world's going to look at you and think, what's with you? There's something about you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany in the 1930s when the rise of the Third Reich happened. Most, and and most of Germany is Lutheran. He was a Lutheran pastor. During that time, Bonhoeffer was one of the very few to stop and say, wait a minute. First of all, killing Jews is wrong. And secondly, I think this whole thing is nuts. Most everybody else just bought into the system. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of the few theologians. In fact, he tried to pull off a failed attempt to kill Hitler. Which is controversial, should pastors kill leaders. <laughs> but Bonhoeffer felt it was his duty. He tried, he failed. It's theologian, not an assassin. He writes this about suffering in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. Suffering is the badge of the true Christian. Then he then he quotes Luther, or he paraphrases Luther, and he says, Luther reckoned suffering among the marks of the true church. In other words, Martin Luther said, uh, the, the, not Martin Luther King Jr., but I mean Martin Luther the, the reformer said, if you're a true church, you suffer. And in one of the memorandum drawn in, up in preparation for the Augsburg Confession, which would be the confession for Lutheran churches that Luther and others worked on similarly defines the church as the community of those who are persecuted and martyred for the gospel's sake. That's the definition they gave of the church at first. Now later they changed it, but in the beginning, in their rough draft phases, they said that's what the church is. Now got to realize when they existed too, they were getting a lot of persecution from the church of Rome. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ, and it is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. Starting now, chapter 4, verse 1, we are going to enter into when the Christians are going to start to suffer. It's light at first. By the time we get through chapter 7, and, and whoever put the chapter division in, verse, in chapter 8, they're one verse off. But anyway, through 8, verse 1, it completely changes. The culture completely changes. Let's dig into this passage. Open your Bibles up to Acts chapter 4. Spend the rest of our times just in that passage with one little cross-reference in Deuteronomy we have to take a look at. You can look on your insert or you can just follow along on the screen, whichever uh, whichever gives you joy. Acts chapter 4, this is an amazing story, an amazing account of what happened. Acts chapter 4. Let's read that. We're going to kind of look at this in chunks and kind of look what happens here. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1 the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Now, let me just back up here. If you weren't here before, this was, they had healed this man who had, had, was unable to walk since birth. He had a physical condition, or I don't know what he exactly had, but he was unable to walk. And, and so they had healed him. And it was all these people started coming around them, and Peter preached to them and told them, it's not us, it's Christ who did this. And then he said, remember, that you all need Christ. You killed the author of life. But he's here and you can turn to him and you can have life. You can repent of your sin. means turn away from him and come to him. That's what's happening now. That's the end of chapter 3. And so when they saw this, they did something. The priest, the captain of the temple guard, it's kind of like the police chief of the temple guard, and the Sadducees. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, important word, their people, and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about five thousand. We talked about this last time, that that men could mean just uh, uh, generic people, but it most likely meant that it was men plus women and children. So they would grown now from 3,000 to 5,000 plus. It was, this movement was getting big. Now, really wrestled with the sermon title for this message, which generally means I'm wrestling with focus uh, because uh, I really have three messages here. There are three messages. And th- the messages are the three different people who are here? I want you to meet three different sets of people. The first are these religious rulers, the religious rulers, and this, they list them here. They say there's the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees. Later on, we're going to hear they're going to call them um, the high priest. We'll see later on in this passage, and they'll ca- I'll call the whole group here the Sanhedrin, which we'll explain uh, when we get there. Who are these people? These people were the religious rulers of the day. The Sadducees were people who held a little different philosophical and theological understanding than the other political power called the Pharisees. The Sadducees had come to power in the time in between when Malachi was written, last book of the Old Testament, and Matthew. They often call that the intertestamental period, about 400 years from 400 BC to zero, they had come into power, power, and I mean power, because they had changed the system from being kind of a, 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 more of a theological system, a way that people were ministered to, to a political power. They changed it to nobility. They were the wealthy, the educated, they were the elite. They were unprincipled collaborators. They were politically savvy. They would do whatever it took to stay in Power. They were political control freaks. They had a look of spirituality. In other words, they would wear these robes and walk around quoting the Old Testament. But Jesus had some of the harshest words for these people who were the religious rulers because they had this cloak of religiosity, but their hearts were hard, and what they wanted was power. What they wanted was to control people. And they did not want anyone rocking the boat. They thought they got rid of the main guy, Jesus. And now these two fishermen are up here at the temple and they're talking about Jesus. Now if you stop and think about this for a 2nd he's saying, what's the deal? It says they, were, they came up to them in verse 1. It says they were disturbed. And then verse 3, they seized them. They seized Peter and John, and most people think that they also took the man who was healed. Why? Can I see your healing license, please? Oh, I don't have one. You're in jail. I mean, why? What power or authority do you have to seize these people? They really don't. They just take them. They just take them. Second group of people I want you to see here, that's one group of people, and the message there would be, We'll look at is How do you reject Jesus? How do you be religious and reject Jesus? Great message there. How do you be religious and but completely push aside Jesus? Second group is Peter and John. Peter and John. Now, you got to remember where Peter and John came from. They were simple. They were uneducated. They were fishermen. And, 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 and they had previously, remember, when confronted by authority, <whistles> run away, see ya. And left Jesus alone. The last time they were confronted by authority, they ran away. Peter had a little more guts than the other ones. He kind of followed along and a little bit, little bit behind and over here. And then when somebody said, wait a minute, that guy was with them. Boom. He said, I am not. He even called on curses. He swore at them and said, I've never seen that man before. He denied Christ. That's Peter and John. We're going to learn more about them. And the third group of people is a, is a phrase called people. Verse 1, people. The people. Uh, we're all people, but these people were the people who were not the ones rejecting Jesus, and they were not the one proclaiming Jesus. They were the one who public opinion was out. They were the ones who were trying to. They were making their minds up individually and collectively on who is Jesus. <clears throat> They were the ones who yelled, crucify him, crucify him, and were some of the ones that were starting to ponder about, wait a minute now, maybe this Christ really was risen. Maybe this Christ really was who he said he was. We saw this crazy tongue thing with the different languages, neat trick, and now this guy is healed. This is nuts. What's going on? And we're going to watch the people be the main point here, although their only response here is in verse 4. But many who heard the message believed and they grew. At that point, the people were responding. But the number one concern of the religious rulers is the people. Now, let's take a look at the next scene. Verse 5. The next day, they put them in jail at night. They didn't want to have a, a trial at night, I guess. And so the next day, the rulers, elders... And teachers of the law, stop right there, who are those people? The chief priests would be the, the, the rulers. There was about 24 priestly different orders, so there could have been up to 24 of those. There were elders, it says here. They were the family heads, they were heads of the, of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then it also says the teachers of the law. These were the scribes, most likely, these were the, the ones who taught. These were most likely of a group called the Pharisees. But the Pharisees were seriously in the minority. The Sadducees, which held this political power and had a lot different theological bent or understanding of what was going on in the Old Testament than the Pharisees, were in control. And the Sadducees, the Sadducees denied a few things that the the, uh, Pharisees believed in. One, they they denied that there was a resurrection of the body. When you're dead, you're dead. That's what they believed. They denied there was an immortality of the soul. They didn't believe in spirits or angels And so they they disagreed, the two of them. And the Sadducees, very important to notice, they even say that here, that the Sadducees were the ones in control. They brought them, they they brought, uh, the next day, the the, uh, rulers, elders, and teachers met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, as was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. Now stop right there for a second. It's interesting. Annas is called the high priest. Actually, he's not the high priest. He's been kicked out by the Roman leaders saying, remember, this whole government was an interesting thing. It was kind of a puppet government because the, the Roman government was over it. And they still would hold the Jewish people under their thumb, but remember, just like Jesus, they couldn't kill him. They had to have the Romans do it. Annas got kicked out. The Romans didn't like him. And they put his son-in-law in in there. But if you look even in the accounts of when Jesus was crucified, who do they all look to? They look to Annas. There's kind of this power play going between, he's not even the high priest anymore, Caiaphas is, but Caiaphas is kind of a figurehead. It's going back and forth. This is the group of people. They had Peter, verse 7, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. Okay, now when they questioned them, there'd be 71 people in this group, at least, and they would stand in a semicircle and they'd put them dead center. Peter, John, and probably the guy who got healed. And they began to question them. And here's question number one. By what power or what name did you do this? What? What? What, what, what kind of a question is that? What's that question about? By what power or name did you do this? I mean, it's a silly question. What's he getting at? What are they getting at? What are they trying to do? Flip your Bible back to the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the fifth book, Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1. Here's what they're trying to do. It says in Deuteronomy 13:1, it says, If a prophet, or one who foretells by dreams, appears among you, and announces to you a miraculous sign and or wonder... And if the sign or wonder of which he has spoken takes place and he says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. It is the Lord your God you must follow and him you must revere. Keep his his commands and obey him. Serve him and hold fast to him. That prophet or dreamer must be put to death because he preached rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. He has tried to turn you from the way the Lord your God commanded you to follow. You must purge the evil from among you. See what they're doing? They're trying to kill Peter and John. All they got to get him, uh, Peter and John to say is, "Well, we did it by Jesus." Boom! They're done. Ah, that that deceiver, the one we killed, the one who claimed to be the Messiah. Over. You're not. We can't deny that the miracle happened. Okay? There's the guy here. That's hard to deny. But this passage says, even if some really cool thing happens and they don't claim it's from God, boom! You're done. That's the question. That's why the question is asked. It's a death sentence. It's a death sentence that they're trying to give to him. Now, it's life or death time for Peter and John. How are they going to respond? Last time they were faced with this, turned tail and ran. How do they respond this time? Courage or cowardice? How do they respond? Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's spelled J-E-S-U-S space C-H-R-I-S-T for those of you writing our death sentence. Whom you crucified, he doesn't just stop there, he keeps going. By the way, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He, that's Jesus, is the stone you builders rejected, but he has become the capstone or the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Now, it's one thing to slit your throat. It's another thing to just give him ammo. He, I counted five things here that Peter does to sentence himself to death. Number one, who did it? Whose name are you do this in? Jesus. You're a dead man. Secondly, by the way, you're the one who crucified him. Third thing, but God raised him from the dead. Remember, what's this council? They're full of what? Sadducees. No, there's no resurrection from the dead. Fourth thing, Jesus is the one you rejected. He's the the, the one, the builders. He's calling the rulers the builders. They rejected it. He's quoting Psalm 118, verse 22. Back at them, at these religious rulers. He's saying, it's right in front of your face. There's a beautiful stone. It should be used for the cornerstone. And you're saying, nope, not that one. We'll use this weird, weird rocky thing stick it in there. No, 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 no. Use the nice, square, big, stony thing. That goes in the corner. (laughs) And they rejected it. And and it's meant to to be kind of an ironic thing to say. The stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Everything's built upon it. And the very people who should know everything about building skipped over it. That's the fourth way. He's basically saying, you're blind. You're an idiot. It's right in front of your face. I am a stupid fisherman and I see it. And then the fifth thing, he has the audacity to say right to their face. I mean, when Peter said this, he wasn't expecting to live long. He wasn't going to be buying any green bananas. (laughs) He said, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven by which man may receive." Nothing else works, guys. It's Jesus or nothing. He's the only way to the Father. He's the only sin bearer. <laughs> dude, when he said that, that was some guts. You, you knew that at that moment, I mean, I, it says that Peter said it. I wonder what John was thinking. Oh, dude. <laughs> I was going to come with a little different spin there, Peter, but okay, man, I'm here too. They got five things, at least the ones I counted, five things that they could kill them on, any one of those. How do they respond? How do they respond? How does the, this, this group called, we'll see in a second, it's called the Sanhedrin or these ruling, these, these 71 people in this council, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, it takes guts to say that, five times over to put the noose around your neck, five times over. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and conferred together, What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading, aha, control, people. i got to control the people. To stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Now let's contrast these two people. Let's contrast Peter and John. I'm assuming John is of one accord. Go get him, Peter. Remember, John was called sons of thunder. Maybe Peter would have said, ooh, you know what? I'm, you're going to give ten. I'm just going to give five. I don't know. John was called the son of thunder. He probably was ready to go both barrels here. And Peter's the one who spoke. Just look at the text and how it describes them. First of all, it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They had stepped out in faith, and God filled them to the measure And that, as a result of that, says they were courageous. It has to be courageousness in the sight of an an incredible circumstance to say no, no. I will not deny that it's Christ. Third thing, they were unschooled. They were not formally trained. Now, unschooled, that's an interesting phrase considering that they had been with Jesus. I mean, you know, I don't know how many letters you have after your your name. It doesn't matter. You've been with Jesus. Been with Jesus, B-W-J. That is better than anything. So that's who they are. They're simple people who are full of the Holy Spirit and have been with Jesus and as a result had courage to step out. Who are these religious religious people? Well, they, they're, they're just cowards. They're cowards. And they're so blind to what they it has to be this way. I have to stay in power. I have to keep myself looking good. I can't let myself look foolish. Peter and John were looking foolish. Very foolish. They didn't care. And these religious people are saying, no, this is the way it works. God doesn't do miracles. And if He does, He doesn't do them through simple little, simple little fishermen. He does them through people who have fancy robes on, like me. They completely denied the facts. They're saying, uh, we can't deny that they did the miracle. The word is spreading. Even this tongue of fire thing is really cool. Can't deny the but they have to. They have to. I, I can't tell you how many people today that I've talked to, and you can get all the facts right about Christianity. Doesn't matter. No, just refuse to believe it. I refuse. Well, why? What logical reason do you have left? There aren't any. I just refuse to do it. And that's what these religious religious people. It's dangerous being religious. They wanted political power more than anything else. So then what happens? Verse 18. Then they, they the group, the, the, the council, called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach it all in the name of Jesus. <laughs> okay, okay, all right. We'll give you the miracle thing. Just stop it. Stop this talking. Now, Peter and John replied. I often wonder when it says Peter and John, who said water. Did they both just say it exactly? or I doubt it. Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. A great verse. Don't use that, kids, when you're looking at your parents, okay? (laughs) Unless they're asking you to do something that God says no. But judge, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. No, no, we're not going to stop. Five things I gave you, and you know what? We're going to keep going. So they threatened them. After further threats, they let them go because they could not decide how to punish them. Because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who had, was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Do you feel that tension? I mean, these guys are facing certain death. And that because it's not politically savvy yet, and it will become later, chapter 8, the end of, of chapter 7, it will become politically savvy to kill them. But now it's not, and so you know what? We're going to let them go. May I ask you a question this morning? Which of those three groups are you like? Maybe a little bit of each. Which one predominantly defines you? Are you like, are you like Peter and John? Are you faced with a situation where you have to reply in a way that is just courageous. And Lord, you have to say, you've got to fill me with your spirit, Lord, or I'm not going to make it through this. And you've got to step out in boldness and courage and say, God, I take my stand here and nowhere else. All the other pastors in Germany think it's okay that we're going to kill six million Jews. I don't. And I believe Bonhoeffer died as a result of that, eventually. Put in prison, I know that. Are you at that point where you need to take a stand for whatever it is? You need to be filled with courage. And the way that they got this was because they are filled with the Holy Spirit and they had been with Jesus. Ah, be with Jesus, B-W-G, be with Jesus to get that courage. And they didn't please people. It would have been great to come to these. Did I spell that wrong? BWG, I did that. <laughs> it's because I believe in the Trinity so much. Jesus, God, same thing, BWG. I was. <laughs> it's the Hebrew way of spelling Jesus with a G. Like there's a G in Hebrew. Um, They weren't interested in pleasing people. Don't get me wrong, they enjoyed having good fellowship and they enjoyed making people feel good, but if it came to that point where you're going to make me ask to do something wrong or follow God, they said, I'm going to follow God. That's just the way it goes. Religious rulers, they were more interested in keeping the appearance than about reality. They were more interested in deceiving people that they were the good guys when all they really wanted was power and people looking at them to keep their status. They were totally consumed with people pleasing, control, manipulation of events and people to get their way. They were haters of God. They were haters of God. You want to reject God? Get religious. Start to put on a cloak of decency. Start to look down at other people who, oh man, I can't believe those terrible people and what they're doing. Yeah. Don't ever look at the evidence. Just keep to your own understanding of things. You want to reject Jesus? That's how you do it. The last thing, the third group is the people. The jury's out for the people, many of them are responding. However, we're going to find out by, the, by this religious rulers are going to keep pounding and pounding and pounding away. By the time we get to chapter 8, the people's opinion will have changed about Jesus. They will be swayed because of these rulers. Are you just following the crowd, doing whatever they think is best? Or are you going to make decisions about things? By the way, let me make one last point here. It's really a fourth, well it's kind of a second, towards a second one. If you're in spiritual leadership, don't ever underestimate the amount of power you have with people's lives. In four chapters, they chained a whole population from being in favor with, the, with these Christians and in favor with them to wanting to kill them. Don't ever underestimate the power you have with people if you're in any kind of spiritual leadership. Let's pray. Father, this is an amazing passage of Scripture. And Lord, I just praise you that you take someone simple like Peter and John with all their faults and all their simplicity and you make them people who are ardent followers of Jesus, who are used to turn the world upside down. Us in this room were were products of what Peter and John did that day. If they'd back down, we may not be here, but they didn't. By your spirit and by your plan, you, you had an amazing turn of events happen. In the face of certain death, they walked away, even after proclaiming the truth. Lord, I pray you'd grant us courage in this room to be proclaimers of truth at times when it is not popular. Lord, there are people in this room who are struggling with religiosity, with struggling with putting a mask on and making everything look good and making sure they keep everything in control in their lives and other people too. And Lord, I pray even this morning right now that they would bend their knee to you and say, Jesus, I give it up all to you. You are the only one that matters and everyone, if everyone else thinks I'm a fool, so what? The author And finisher of my faith doesn't. And he's applauding in heaven, and that's all that matters. There's an audience of one, Lord. And I pray that you would work that in our hearts to let us know that that's most important. Because on our own, we want to be people pleasers. Father, also there are people in this room who are being swayed by the crowd. Swayed by the crowd. Whether for good or for bad. And I pray for them, Lord, that you would allow them to make decisions on their own and to not follow the leaders. Perhaps it's even in their own dorms as people are out partying and doing all kinds of things that are unhonoring to you and and they just follow the crowd. God, would we be people who swim upstream and at times look foolish and at times are lonely because we're not with the crowd. God, if there's any heart here that is working towards rejecting you would you right now by your spirit come and break it like a rock breaks a hammer or a hammer breaks a rock into pieces and Lord I pray for those of us even as we don't have a majority of our heart isn't that way there's still a small part of us that are turning to reject you would you break it so that we follow you God, as we enter into a time of communion, would be just be blown away by all that you've done for us, Jesus. There is salvation. Salvation is found in no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. We praise you, Jesus Christ. In your name. Amen.